Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with Mental Health America of Wisconsin. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of others who do as well. By sharing stories of lived experiences, we expose depression for the lying bully it is. Hello, Bridget. Hi, Terry. Pretty crazy times we're living in, huh? They are indeed. About every 10 weeks or so, we do a little review of the most recent episodes. It's a way to both summarize the past few months' work and to offer a little sample of each guest's story so you can determine which resonates with you and then listen to the full episode. It's also an opportunity to slow down, look back, and be reminded of the wisdom, experience, and hope that our guests offer us on a weekly basis. And these are often our most played episodes because they're a really easy entry point for anyone either unfamiliar with this podcast or concerned that maybe a podcast on depression is going to be depressing. We began this season with episode 126, when depression makes you homesick for who you were before. If you live with depression, you probably understand that statement well. In the darkness and hopelessness, we miss energy, humor, the desire for connection, in any sense that will reconnect with our worth and vitality. In a word, it's a miserable place to be. In a wide-ranging conversation, we spoke with blogger Savannah Wall about her experience with depression and the things that she missed the most when in it, including herself. I just felt so empty and so far away from the people that I love, even though my love for them was so immense. And I know that their love for me was immense. No matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't feel them. Um, it's just a very, very dark place to be. I didn't know how to describe it except for just feeling really homesick and homesick for the people that I loved, homesick for, you know, kind of who I was before depression, homesick for that bubbly, you know, energetic you know, woman that I was, um, and I just, I couldn't get there no matter how hard I tried. To hear Savannah's full 15-minute episode, look for episode 126, When Depression Makes You Homesick for Who You Were Before. Episode 127, we looked at how furry friends can play a significant role in our mental health. If you have a pet, you understand the value of the connection you have. In How Pets Help with Depression, we speak with Lori about the specific benefits her dogs provide and how they impact her depression. Whether or not you're an animal lover, this episode is a good reminder of our human needs for companionship, exercise, acceptance, a schedule, etc. Okay, so loyalty and companionship, we've yes. got that as one of the things. Mm-hmm. In what other ways have pets, particular dogs, helped you manage or stay out of mm-hmm. or, or not be alone when you're in right. depression? Right, the exercise factor. Mm-hmm. So dogs need a lot of physical and mental stimulation. When you're going through such a down spot, 
of, of feeling that you can't go on. The fact that you have to get up and move, um, they made me get out and walk in every kind of weather. I mean, I didn't want to walk in 35 below weather, but I had to. So the fact that I was out and about, people would stop and say, oh my God, those are beautiful dogs. I was speaking to people. Just the fact that I got out of my hole and I was out in public functioning in a way contributing to society at least I was contributing to my dog's health that helped me get out of the funk that I was in you can hear Lori's full 17 minute episode and see a picture of her with one of her beautiful standard poodles by searching for episode 127 how pets help with depression next up in episode 128 I was that guy who thought depression was a choice, was a rare and candid conversation with a father and grandfather about his journey to understanding and accepting depression as a real and serious illness. Though he grew up believing we could all choose to be positive, when his own daughter was diagnosed and hospitalized, he quickly realized he'd been wrong. We know there are lots of people out there with beliefs like Gary. They're the root of much of the stigma surrounding mental illnesses. So we were really grateful when he was willing to share so vulnerably with us. I would never have classified it as an illness. Okay. I have been, and my whole life was wrapped around believing in positive expectation. And I couldn't figure out, or it was bewildering to me that people couldn't just fix and be positive rather than be negative. And so it wasn't even a real thing to me because I just figured everybody could do that. You have choices and I couldn't imagine somebody would would choose to be negative and dark and believe that they were worthless. So I, it was like something that I had no zero appreciation for. Again, to hear this 16-minute episode in its entirety, search for episode 128, I Was That Guy Who Thought Depression Was a Choice. So, Bridget, you know it can feel like we are totally under depression's power. Because when something can come seemingly out of nowhere and level us, it's hard not to feel that way. But is it true? In episode 129, Preventing Depression Relapse, we spoke with depression sufferer and author Douglas Block. He believes, quote, clinical depression is a gradual process of falling out of recovery, ultimately leading to the inability to function. By regularly monitoring the state of your body, mind, and spirit, it is possible to identify relapse symptoms early on and take action to prevent major depression. This episode is a conversation about the identifiable stages before depression that offer opportunities to prevent full relapse. Yeah, I learned that from my friends in AA, you know, that that, um, recovering means I'm always in the process of recovering. These people were having to have their lifestyle be their recovery. And so I realized that people with depression, bipolar disorder, any kind of mental illness have to do the same thing. Douglas's 18-minute episode is number 129, Preventing Depression Relapse. This next episode, number 130, Keeping a Suicide a Secret, offers a peek behind the curtain of shame and stigma relating to suicide. 
It's a horrible thing to even imagine finding your beloved husband of 31 years dead by his own actions. But if that same day, the first people you called with the devastating news convinced you to keep the fact that he died by suicide a secret, well, that would really impede your recovery and your ability to live in truth. That's Deb Sherwood's story. And it's a lesson for all that secrecy breeds shame and light allows healing. That's kind of when the horror hits me where people are saying, you cannot tell anybody what happened because you'll ruin his professional reputation as a journalist. And it was sort of like, okay, that makes sense to me. I mean, I don't want anybody thinking, you know, what a weak man or, uh, you know, a lost soul. I don't want that to be their memory of him, you know, with all the things that he did in the business and, you know, throughout his life. And so I said, okay. Again, you can hear the full 20-minute episode number 130, Keeping a Suicide a Secret. When we met Deb and heard her story, we knew we had to produce two episodes with her. Because in addition to the personal cost of keeping her husband's suicide secret, she also had some pretty shocking examples of things that people said to her about his death. And in the interest of learning how to handle unfamiliar situations better, we offer episode 131, Words Matter When Discussing Suicide. I told him about the, the loss, and, and his questions were, why do you still wear your wedding ring? And this was maybe, you know, in this case, maybe a year after the fact. And I thought, I, I said, you know, we didn't divorce. He died. I may never take my ring off. Mm-hmm. And then he said, how could you not have seen it coming? And I'm thinking, you know, how is this even possible that somebody's asking me that question? I get the question, but why are you asking me that? I mean, what does it have to do with how you're going to treat me, first of all, you know, as a patient? But why would you ask that? Oh, that makes me sick. Oh, it was it was striking. It was just like, I cannot really believe this is happening. In addition to sharing thoughtless and hurtful comments that added to her trauma, Deb also offered suggestions for supportive and kind reactions. Again, the full 18-minute episode is called Words Matter When Discussing Suicide. It is episode 131. We continued our focus on words from a very different perspective in episode 132, The Language of Depression. Researchers have proven that the thoughts we have and the words we choose not only define depression, but predict it. In this episode, we speak with a research doctor who analyzes online mental health forums and other writing samples. Using computers to analyze the words, he finds a direct connection between absolutist words and depression, anxiety, and suicide. The research shows that I think depressed people use absolutist words like completely, always, never. Uh, there's a, I think there's a list of about 15 of them. 50% more than non-depressed controls. Uh, and it's the same for anxiety as well. And with suicidal ideation, it's 80% more than non-depressed controls. So you see, as the severity of the illness increases, you get a corresponding increase in the rate of absolutist words used in language. 
Since we did this interview and learned the list of absolutist words, we found it really helpful to recognize them in ourselves and others and to understand them as warning signs of distortive thinking. Again, the full episode, which is 16 minutes long, is 132, The Language of Depression. As the psychiatric patient, we want to leave the hospital well, not in crisis, certainly not suicidal. As the care provider, you want to believe your patients will continue treatment and recovery. And as the families and loved ones of the people who needed emergency care, we want to exhale and declare the danger past after a hospitalization. But none of those are guaranteed realities in the current mental health system. In fact, post-discharge is documented to be an extremely risky time for suicide. In part one of a two-part look at care transition and post-discharge realities, our guest is Becky Stoll, Vice President for Crisis and Disaster Management for Centerstone, a community-based mental health center. I think we have to do better and really alert people to we know statistically that in the in the you know first couple of weeks post-discharge from an inpatient psych stay, your risk for suicide is high. Incredible. I mean, and, and you know, give them the statistic, so you can kind of be on high alert for that instead of just you know if anything comes up. Um, but hey, we know a lot of people that come out get this infection. Uh, this is a side, you know, this is a risk, and just be aware of it. So when you do, so when you do have that situation, uh, it's not surprising, and that family and friends and the individual themselves can be cognizant of it and be on the lookout for it. That full 19-minute episode, which is a really important one to hear, is number 133, Post-Hospitalization Risks. We continued our discussion with Becky Stoll in episode 134, When We Know Better, We Have to Do Better. Since care transition is now known to be a very fragile time for people who may be suicidal, we discuss some of the best practices that have been identified and the ways Becky and other providers and mental health advocates are working to raise the care bar and prioritize not only saving lives, but helping patients create and maintain lives that they find purposeful and worth living. We have to identify the people coming through our doors as best we can. Um, It's not an eye scan that we can do or a thumbprint scan or a blood test. It's not, I mean, gosh, I wish it was that simple. So we try to use the tools that we have and the clinical judgment we have to ID folks. Once we identify individuals to be at high risk of suicide, if they're on the, you know, we've kind of put them on the grid. And if we've put them on the grid and we said they're at high risk, it's our responsibility to at least make sure we know when people kind of veer off of the grid. Again, that full episode is number 134. When we know better, we have to do better. It also lists some ways that we, as family members and friends, can help keep someone safe post-discharge. Bridget, this season is another reminder of just how complicated and multifaceted the topics of depression and suicide are, because we've done 134 different episodes, and from each one of them, I've learned something I never knew before. Absolutely. And I, when I listen to them again, I learn more. The intention obviously isn't to unravel, but to reveal the multifaceted complexity of, of mental illness. 
Mm-hmm. And it's it's really been an honor to do because we are just so grateful to each and every guest who takes the time to sit down and explain either themselves, their experience of depression, or some larger issue so that we can understand what's needed to keep ourselves and others safe. So, again, we are very, very grateful to everyone as we end another season. Yeah, and to our listeners who, in a time of need, if that's needing support or needing information, that they're actually getting to their keyboard and typing in the words depression and finding us and listening. And to the 7,000 people who have joined our Facebook community, have created such a supportive um, and and loving community. Mm-hmm. And anyone who hasn't checked out our Facebook, please please do. You just have to search for Giving Voice to Depression in Facebook. Bridget and I will be taking the next two weeks off, as we do after every season review, to start our research and interviews for the coming season, which will be our 13th, Bridget. Absolutely. So thanks to everyone for speaking with us, and thanks to everyone for listening. Take care of yourselves. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on depression's dark road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.